0: To because and Effect, a podcast from the Winnipeg Foundation, where we talk to people about the causes that they care about and the effect that it's had on their lives. My name is Nolan Vicknell Thank you for tuning in to the podcast today. Our first guest in a series of conversations in this sort of post-COVID era is Thomas Morgan Jones. He's the Artistic Director of Prairie Theatre Exchange. Over the next few episodes, we're going to be talking to a few different people that support the various causes in and around Winnipeg, and today we're starting with arts and culture. PTE, like most charities and nonprofits that represent arts and culture in our city, has not been immune to the challenges that COVID-19 has presented. Although things are slowly starting to get back to normal, it will still obviously be a while until audiences feel comfortable attending live shows in and around Manitoba. I sat down with Thomas Morgan Jones to talk about Prairie Theatre Exchange and their plans in the post-COVID world, how his team is staying connected with their audience in numerous innovative ways, and the value of theatre and the arts in general to people all across the world. Uh, Thomas Morgan Jones, thank you for joining us on Because and Effect, the first podcast in the post COVID-19 world. Thanks for being here with us.
1: Yeah, it's my pleasure. Yeah, I've heard
0: uh, people are starting to say uh, PC, right? Like, oh, geez, post-COVID. Yeah, Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's the first I've heard of it, but I'm going to start using it. But I mean, my first question for you is, how has you, have you been holding up? How has the team been holding up? What's What's been happening with PTE uh, as you're the Artistic Director of PTE? Um, how are things going?
1: Yeah, well, um... I would imagine it's kind of the same as it's going for a lot of people, maybe in in their individual lives, only you know on the scale of like a medium to large size arts organization. So we, um, you know, when when everything uh, went down or shut down, that sort of thing, we had five different productions um, in three different provinces. Um, so it's quite a it's quite a sad time for us, I think, is that you know our primary function a PT is to make uh, live theater as well as do education and a number of other things. But like our primary function is to create plays and, um, and bring people together to hear stories. Uh, and we were in this amazing position where we had a show on tour in Manitoba. Uh, we had a show on stage, um, in, uh, in Winnipeg, we had a show on stage in Vancouver and we had a show that was about to open in Halifax, uh, as well as some other stuff coming. So it was, you know, uh, in many ways, you know, we had a lot of stories to tell, you know, in a lot of different places, and so we had to, um, you know, bring all that to a, a pause for sure. But, um, but I think following that, it's the same as everybody else went through. Like we we've made this move. Like we we're all you know experts at Zoom, as I'm sure many people are, and um, we're all working from home. We found a really productive way of working from home, I think. But our biggest thing has been trying to figure out how to you know, how to keep the same feeling as a company. I think one of the things we love is we have a really direct relationship with our audience. Our theater is only, uh, well, not only, but is 323 seats. And it's in a configuration that's kind of like a, uh, we call it a thrust stage, but for anyone that's not familiar, it's like the, the audience is a horseshoe around the stage. Um, so there, there's an audience on all three sides. So it's a really it's a really intimate relationship. And so we've been trying to figure out ways that we can keep that relationship with the audience and with each other uh, as an organization. So we, you know, we have daily check-ins. We try to do staff meetings as much as we can. And, um, and each of us in our own way, I know like for myself, I try to reach out to, to artists in the community, you know, that we, that we work with constantly just to do check-ins, you know, cause I think right now, one of the great things that's happening is, um, you know there's 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 a lot of uh, loss and grieving going on but loneliness or disconnectedness is a real thing right now and as an organization one of our biggest functions is is bringing people together right and so we're trying to figure out what that means uh right now so that's sort of like what we've what we've been through and and where we're going and then we just launched a new season of theater right looking ahead into next season which is a i'm sure we'll talk about a bit but is also is really hopeful and optimistic, but then we're also, you know, wrestling with questions of, um, you know, being optimistic and positive, but also being realistic and pragmatic, you know, all that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But uh, yeah, it's it's been kind of thrilling. Like we really, you know, I, it, like I don't want to downplay any of the challenges or the struggle and that sort of thing because there's certainly been a lot of that but it's also been really you know galvanizing and unifying I think like we've the outpouring of love from audience members and artists and you know colleagues around the country like it's been really extraordinary because we're all I know we see this all the time we're all in this together but like I believe it and every time I read it or see it or hear it I try to hear it or read it or see it like it's the first time you know, because it's true, right? As, as long as we can all remember that it's true.
0: right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's sort of where we're at. I mean, art, theater and the arts in general is, is often a great connector of people. And, and part of that live experience is being able to connect, look into your audience members' eyes and say like, you know, perform for them and you, and you see their reaction in real time. So how have you talked with your team about adjusting to not having that immediate feedback uh, and how is that going to change their performances moving forward?
1: Um, well, I think in terms of the the team at the theater, we've been trying to find ways, like what you're describing is a kind of um, genuine and intimate relationship with another human being. So we've been trying to figure out ways that we might be able to do that um, with the audience without having to, like, even right now, I'm sort of, if I want you to be able to look in my eyes, I have to look in the camera. And if I want to look at you, I have to look over at your face. You know, So it's so we can't have that relationship but we've like we've been doing things like sending plays to audience members to read or you know sending notes that sort of thing we created a digital project which is a whole other subject um you know to have something online too i was noticing that a lot of friends family uh colleagues uh this is about 5 weeks ago we started this this is the fifth week we're doing it um that a lot of people weren't breathing like there was no breath <laughs> that i was talking to is like all the breath was kind of like held up here and it was really, you know, uh, tight, shallow. Um, so we created a project called, uh, inhale, exhale, 90 seconds to breathe. And the idea was our artistic associate uh, has been taking black and white, uh, still photography around sort of isolated Winnipeg. And then we hooked her up uh, and commissioned 10 short 90 second works from a composer from Toronto that we work with sometimes to try to get a, a. Uh, an exchange, like to use the exchange part of our name, an artistic exchange from across the country of two artists uh, contemplating this time and that could only be created in this time. And then we post these videos, which are that image shows up and there's like a slow zoom in and out of it, like a big long breath. And then this 90 seconds of music plays as like a bit of a meditation, like just watch this video, breathe, calm, you know, um, but also give them something very beautiful and very produced. Um, so you know, we've been we've been doing things and thinking about things like that. Um, but in terms of what it means moving forward, I'm not sure because we are, you know, we're not a um I mean, this can be argued, there are artists all over the country doing brilliant things with technology, live streaming, all sorts of things. Um, but I think fundamentally when I think about Prairie Theater Exchange as a company, we're about being in the room with people, right? Like it's about that kind of experience. So um, you know. We can plan so much but at the same time i think we're going to need to see what these uh what the health authorities are saying you know like if it gets to a point where we're in the fall and you know we need to uh, social distancing isn't or physical distancing rather more specifically and importantly physical distancing it can be about the audience and we talk about that a lot too but also it's about the people on stage you know so how that determines what plays we can do, or that sort of thing. Should things continue for a while, it's a big question mark. You know, yeah. there's a company I saw in Massachusetts where they they've canceled their summer festival and replaced it with a festival of one-person plays. So the idea is they'll sell every second row and every fourth or fifth seat um, to shows with only one performer, so that that person doesn't have to be interacting with anyone and can be at a certain distance from the audience. I thought, oh, that's that's cool. Like that's very going to say clever but i don't mean that in a in a condescending way like i mean in a really positive way however that's only you know one kind of performance you know and to have a whole season of solo shows uh that changes who you are as a company right Right. or the kind of stories you can tell
0: absolutely and it's it's going to be challenging for all artists and all industries essentially but it's also an opportunity so how are you how are you, how are you using technology to sort of harness the power that your theater company has realizing, um, moving forward, it's not going to be exactly the same, but how, how are you going to try and use technology to harness the abilities that your team has to, to tell more stories?
1: I think, uh, that's an interesting question. I can't say what we're going to do, but I can tell you the approach I think we're going to take. Mm -hmm. Like the, the 90 seconds project, the, the inhale, exhale, uh, part of why I'm really excited about that one is that it feels like it could only have existed now, like it was born of this time and the limitations we have. And so it feels like a very, uh, like, urgent artistic response using the limitations and restrictions we have. Which, like, in theater, we often deal with a lot of, you know, uh, restrictions. Uh, certainly, and I had a mentor once who would always say restrictions are freeing. You know, like take those restrictions and then figure out how to grow. What's difficult is is that part of the restrictions is we can't use um, all of the tools that we're used to using to be able to communicate. And so um, all I know is that moving forward, we need to embrace the platforms that are available, like the one we're using right now, which is brilliant. Um, But also think of, think about it artistically. Uh, And I don't know what that means. And it's not meant to be a comment on any work that anyone else is doing, but um, you know, we're seeing great, um, examples of people even doing just you know play readings online and i think that's terrific and we could certainly do that too um, but i'm really curious about like what the next evolution is going to be like what is the next thing that we do that that is using that is using all the restrictions really artistically and trying to create something that's that's new as opposed to a different version of what we used to do You know, Um, interesting. Yeah, but also hoping that we're in a position soon that we won't have to do too much of that because maybe we can all be together again. So it's this hard, you know. um, Yeah, yeah. It's very, very strange. Well, it's gonna be
0: a. It's gonna be a while before audiences are comfortable congregating again i'm assuming you know like i'm a pretty laid-back guy but i would still be a little concerned going to a theater of 300 people that you don't know who's who and what's what right so are you are you at all concerned or how are you approaching the audience uh and and crowds and gatherings moving forward like what's your plan are you just hoping that people kind of the the general anxiety goes down a little bit or or just maybe speak on that a little bit for me yeah
1: for sure um yeah i mean in there somewhere in there too you asked like are you concerned i'd say i am hugely concerned um because the like the health and safety of the performers the volunteers our staff the audience is paramount um but that safety is partially physical but it's also emotional too right like it's it's um you know there's uh, i'm obsessively reading about what theaters around the world are doing so there's examples from other countries where right now sort of you you get to the box office you sign in with your name all of your information so that if they need to do any contact tracing they can do that and then you could be sprayed down with a disinfectant uh, put a mask on uh, enter the theater there is physical distancing there but you have to keep the mask on for the duration of the performance Um, trying to keep things to only one act so that you don't need to have lineups at the bathroom and then people exit uh, and I think that's amazing because people are being really safe. I think that's also a really different, emotionally, that's a really different experience of being in a theater and, and experiencing live art, you know? So just trying to contemplate all these things because I, I don't, I mean, the the hard thing is is that um, I always try to answer questions straight in a straightforward manner, but this is one that's like, I don't know how to do it because it all depends on, You know what sort of health authorities and provinces and federal governments um, uh, decide that that is acceptable based on the information that they have. You know, and then what I do know is is that we're uh, everyone on our team is is obsessively reading all the time, and you know we have this organization called the Professional Association of Canadian Theaters, or PACT, which is doing a ton of work in terms of keeping us all connected across the country and bringing in experts from Canada and around the world to talk about, you know, best practices and that sort of thing. So I feel like by the time we have enough information to know how we can open, we'll know, uh, yeah, we'll know how we can open and how we can have people together. But again, that that restrictions are freeing, but also thinking artistically around restrictions. You know, my, my big question is going to be when we have the information we need, how can we find a way to make it as... Um, Supportive an environment for the arts to happen, for for the artists as well as for the audience. You know. Um, Absolutely. Yeah.
0: I'm I'm thinking a lot. You know, I have a lot more spare time on my hands, as I think a lot of people do, and I think a lot of more people are consuming art and content. Call it whatever you want. So, do you think think of this as an opportunity in a way for people to now um, just generally? respect and appreciate and understand how important having artists create these, tell these stories and and hopefully maybe it'll it'll spawn a sort of renaissance in the post COVID-19 era?
1: Yeah, I hope so. Uh, It's interesting um, because what a lot of people have turned to in isolation is art, you know, whether it's visual art or music or literature, books, Um, but certainly, performing arts as well as like film and television. But it, I think there's something, you know, for everything I said about trying to find artistic ways to create a new medium to all that sort of thing. The Like all the live streams are amazing, right? Like the live play readings are amazing. Musicians playing from their homes, it's extraordinary. And it's so human. Um, and I think people are experiencing artists maybe in a way they haven't before or experiencing artists they haven't before. And for those who uh, like, in so here here's me as an example. I would think that I'm up on a lot of things, um, but then, you know, we're at home and I find out there's this streaming service that has uh, some of, like, it has uh, basically contemporary dance, uh, ballet, opera, and theater from all over the UK and the US and a little bit from Canada as well and some other countries. Um, but like all these great companies that I've wanted to see for my whole professional career in these venues I've wanted to see for my whole life. Uh, and they're all on this streaming service and I never heard of it. I thought like, what, (laughs) you know, so I signed up for it. And, um, you know, I think there's a a lot of art that's available to people that they didn't realize was out there before. And they may cultivate a kind of taste uh, during this time that they'll then look to, um, you know, appease or satisfy uh, once they're able to go outside. But then I think once we can be together, like once we can be in groups together, people are going to want to be. It's just as you say, we once they feel safety. But once they feel safety, my hope is is that people will come out with a, a different kind of hunger, you know, for being together and a different kind of hunger for, you know, for what kind of arts experiences they want in their lives. And we're lucky in Winnipeg. I mean, the audience here, we have such an like an eclectic but like massive amount of art in Winnipeg. And I think people here love all of it. Like I meet people that go, Oh, we have subscription to PTE and MTC and Winnipeg Contemporary Dancers and the Symphony. And then I go to this, you know like avant-garde thing over here and you know
0: like we've already got that going on um but hopefully you know it'll be even more it can grow even more is is that what kind of brought you to Winnipeg did you hear about the sort of general artistic appreciation or talk a little because you're not originally from where are you, are you from Ontario or pardon yeah, me
1: are... from Ontario and before this I was just about four years in New Brunswick
0: oh cool so
1: what yeah. what, what exactly brought you to little old Winnipeg yeah well it's interesting because it's like you know, whenever when I first got here a lot of people would say that too is that it's a small place but you know before this I was in Fredericton New Brunswick you know and that's uh, even smaller I'd say and Winnipeg's kind of got this thing where it's got all of the great qualities of a place like Fredericton it's got all the great qualities of a place like Toronto that I was in for about 16 years before that and you know but for my whole I think my whole professional life like I've always looked up to uh, the new works like PT does, does a lot of world premieres um, and now we're still doing that which is great. Um, but I've always heard amazing things about the arts community here and, uh, it's, it's a genuinely like super supportive community. Like everybody genuinely wants everyone else to do well, which doesn't mean that we can't be, you know, have great, you know, uh, rousing conversations where, you know, we're critical of things, but, um, but we are 100% genuinely supportive and, um, you know, that kind of mixture of like how many different types of art forms there are, the standard of it all, the size of the city. Uh, that feeling of community Uh, and then also the extraordinary work that the company does. So it's like, you know, if they'll let me come, you know, when you apply for jobs, eh? like, I don't know, Uh, but if they let me come, absolutely we'll go. And uh, yeah, it's been amazing. It's been like an amazing experience.
0: Well, before we sort of move on from the COVID stuff, do you have anything that you'd like to say to the arts community in Winnipeg, uh, the arts audiences and, and just general population in Winnipeg about what, maybe just some final words about COVID and moving forward and what we're all going to have to sort of do in the uh, PC post COVID uh, time.
1: Sure. Uh, what would I say? I think the main thing I would say is that we're really going to need each other, you know, and we're going to need stories. I think stories help us understand who we are and they help us understand the world around us. And know we hear that a lot, but it's, it's true, you know, we, we see something when we run into each other every day, we say, oh, how was your day? And then we tell a story in order to communicate information, you know? Um, and we're going to need story more than ever, but we're going to need shared community experiences more than ever. Um, and we're going to need each other. The, the, I think audiences will need for the theaters to be telling stories and creating a context within which we can come together as a community. I think theaters—we're going to need the audiences uh, um, to come in and hear them. I was going to say, I hesitated for a moment. I was going to say to trust us, but I think to trust that we can create a safe space for them, that we won't open until we're ready. But once we are ready, we we need the audiences to come to stay alive. And it's a very challenging time for everybody, uh, but certainly that includes arts organizations. So we're going to need people to remember that if you know we uh, you know I'm an overly romantic. Uh, person so uh, but I will speak from my heart as I'd say you know like we theaters love our audiences and um, you know the best way that they can love us in return is to return you know
0: so before I we move on to the next segment what's the best way for people to learn about PTE's upcoming season and what the plans are moving forward
1: yeah, for sure. Uh, website's the best, I think. Um, www.pte.mb.ca, just Google Prairie Theatre Exchange. It's great. We have eight shows coming up next year. Four of them are world premieres. Um, the first one, you know, here's to hoping that we're all back in the theatre for the first one, but it's it's a world premiere by the guy that wrote Kim's Convenience. Oh, wow. Um, cool. show, And so, you know, it's a great way to start the year. It'll be super fun. And uh, yeah, that's the main thing I would say there. Uh, before we move on to talk about like charities and all sorts of other stuff, I'd leave it off, though, on a, on a charity. The other thing I'd like people to think about is, um, yeah, that's how you can check out PTE and come support us for sure. Um, uh, but also is to introduce people, if they don't know, to the Actors Fund of Canada, uh, which is a, a not-for-profit arts organization whose sole existence is to help artists in times of trouble um because you know as as most people may or well maybe they don't know is that um actors directors stage managers um they're independent contractors and so when they're not on contract they don't have benefits they don't have you know like the, those things aren't available to them before the CERB program they also couldn't apply for uh, EI and so sometimes they're like one accident or an illness away from losing their homes or any number of like hardships and so the Actors Fund of Canada uh, exists solely to help support them when they're in times of need. So you know, if people are looking, if they're thinking like, "Oh, I'd love to make a donation to a theater or to a you know um, professional dance company or that sort of thing," they know how to do that. When they think, "Oh, I'd love to help actors," and I don't know how to, uh, the AFC is is kind of the
0: the gold standard in Canada in terms of where to go. Very cool. Thank you for sharing. That's great. Um, so yeah, at the end of every. Podcast we've done. We do a thing called Just Because, where it's the same seven questions for everyone, and we kind of go into the history of causes that you care about and how it's really affected your lives. Are you okay to do that? Yeah, totally. Okay, great. So, question one is: What is the first cause you actually ever remember caring about?
1: Mm, uh, Doctors without the Borders or Medicina Sanfteo. Yeah.
0: What was the history of that? Do you? How old were
1: you? Uh, I think it was in high school. Um, I don't. Re- I don't. Honestly, don't remember how it came about, but I think. Like um, I don't know, I don't know how how old you are, but maybe we're near the same age. And um, but I grew up like without the internet, right? Like I think it was one of the last sort of generations of that. So I remember when I found out about it, uh, because I was I grew up in a factory town and then in a suburb, um, sort of east of Toronto. And you know, like in terms of like uh, global awareness, you know, there was some, but not like a ton. Like not like there is now, right? You know. Um, And so when I when I uh, learned about uh, Doctors Without Borders, I remember it, it was not just about like, oh, there's this great organization, but it opened up into like, oh, there are big problems in lots of places, you know, and then which led to, you know, reading more about geography and reading more about um, socio-political, economic, like, you know, all that sort of thing and trying and, and getting a, a hunger or a curiosity for finding out about that stuff without the internet you know, like how does one do that then when one doesn't have the internet, you know, or has a young internet? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And I just, I, it really, uh, it, it pulled open the blinders a bit, right? Like it just, it went like this on the world, um, which is amazing. And to know that they were doing such great work.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Question two, if money and politics and logistics were no issue at all, how would you help the arts or how would you help your current cause that you're really passionate about?
1: Oh, the arts. Oh, or any cause, it's amazing. There's enough money in the world, I think, to sort us all out. Uh, but it's not <laughs> divvied up in ways that make that possible. But I think if there was no, there's no limit to all of this. I mean, med sans frontières. I mean, not to over. I mean, this would be a massive oversimplification. But people who need food could have food. Those that need medicine could have medicine. Those who need freedoms could have them. You know, like um, now, would money solve problems with governments I and mean, I don't know but I mean with artists as well I think one thing that artists struggle with is um is uncertainty financially you know like I, I look at some other countries um that can support their artists you know like a, an actor might be a full-time employee for a year of a theater and have a salary you know whereas here they maybe have like a six week contract or that sort of thing is to give people the um I think what what money can sometimes buy artists is uh, space and time you know, like like space inside space here space here, um, which which is where the greatest creativity comes from. You know, when you're not worried about the next thing or you know gigging. And I think that would be true of of everywhere. Yeah, I don't know if that's a good answer. I feel like that. Yeah,
0: no, it's a great answer. And I think yeah. it's something I'm thinking about a lot in the uh, in the PC world, post COVID world, is that we're starting to reevaluate what it means to be financially secure and what it means to work for a living and what it, you know, like how the system is starting to be questioned a little bit. And I'm hoping that we sort of where everything lands is a little bit more uh, equitable for everyone, including artists.
1: Equitable and human, you know, I think it's these questions of, you know, a lot of the the places uh, and, and, then by extension, the people perhaps at Medicine San Frontières might help um, are in really extreme, perhaps maybe extreme situations or what one might call relative to our experience, whatever, whoever our is, you know, uh, uh, extreme. But here, the we have extreme situations as well, you know, relative to everybody's individual experience. And, you know, even, I mean, we're all so much more aware now of um, facilities for seniors, you know, and uh, not just about maybe the, the basic care they're getting, but the human care that they are getting or not getting, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's an amazing thing and it all comes down to money, you
0: know? For sure. Question three is what is the biggest min- misunderstanding or stigma about the cause?
1: Uh, now is that arts or?
0: Uh, you could choose whatever cause you're most passionate about.
1: Oh dear. Yeah. Um. Hmm. Well, I think with medicine, San uh it's something I'm very interested in, especially now with with uh, the pandemic, because every country, to a degree, we're all experiencing the same thing. It's like a shared human experience, and I've always been fascinated by when people use words like "us" and "them," or "here" or "over there," and um. You know, with Médecins Sans Frontières, a lot of the stuff is maybe outside of North America, maybe outside of Canada, for instance. Um, But the people going are from here and they're affected, you know, because they go to places or, or because the context they live in. Why did they sign up to go, uh, you know, help? But also, too, that the, the struggle is happening somewhere else, you know, that they they're more easily dismissible because they don't affect the person here, which I think is... Uh, heartbreaking and um, and hugely problematic you know what I mean like it's it's uh, it's so divisive and I think incorrect now that we do (laughs) so now that we do have the internet and now that we (laughs) do like have a global society you know like to the thought that anyone isn't connected to anyone else is absurd
0: yeah, very well said. It kind of reminds—I know I—I I don't like conflating the two necessarily, but it kind of reminds me of how in in nine after nine eleven, New York just came together, and I'm hoping after COVID, the world just comes together on the same kind of level of like we're on this together, guys. Okay, let's stop all the petty squabbling and let's uh let's all start paddling the boat in the same direction, perhaps.
1: Yeah, here's to hoping. My mom is from uh, New York, and when we went there together, I think it was it was just after 9-11. It was the first time. So, you know, I was older and, uh, but it was amazing. She hadn't been back in a while. And she said like the New York, she remembers is really like, she loves it, you know, but like, it was really tough, like uh, really, really fast, really tough, all that sort of thing. And, um, and I remember after the first day we were there, I was like, well, how is it being home? Like that kind of home. And I remember her saying it's strange because it doesn't feel at all. Like the place I remember Because everyone, like we would pass people on the street and they would smile at us. And she's like, that was not going on when I was a kid, you know, like, uh, and I agree. I think these, these things can really, you know, hopefully they can unlock some humanity. Yeah.
0: Well said uh, question four: what is a time in your life where you had to pivot? Because I mean, this is probably going to be every day when you're, putting together a new show but when you had to pivot because a plan just wasn't working out for you yeah I think uh actually it was it
1: wasn't that it wasn't working out I um when I was young so I didn't think uh, I wasn't sure again no internet and uh I wasn't sure like how do you make a living in the arts and so I had convinced myself I wanted to be an archaeologist uh and I'd gone on a dig and um, applied to archaeology school and all this and uh, and then the university I applied to that I got into for archaeology they sent me a letter and I don't know if they'd do this kind of thing anymore but it was like dear applicant you know thank you for wanting to study archaeology um, we just want you to know that if this is a career path you want to pursue like um, there are barely any jobs and if you do get a job you're probably going to have to leave Canada and if that's important for you to be in your family then you know you should consider that and that it's really unsure blah blah blah, blah. And I thought, like, what the what? Uh, And and that was my like that was the responsible career path that I was thinking about. And what it made me realize was that I was lying to myself, and that you know that I wanted to tell stories and that I wanted to work in theater. Um, And then I that's the the pivot is I went you know in a way that was the gift they gave me, which was that as you said about financial stability, right? Like all stability or any idea of the right thing is all an illusion. and if you're in a position, if you're in a privileged position, as I was, to be able to make a choice, um, it was why aren't you following your heart, right? And part of it was because what I thought, you know, systems or society were telling me over the right thing. Uh, but the other, if I'm being really honest, was about cowardice or fear, you know, that it's, it's hard to go after what you really want, you know? um but that was great because it was basically some, someone saying yeah, it's not going to work out no matter what you do so <laughs> you should just do what makes you happy
0: well i think that might be echoed a lot with people now who are losing their jobs doing a job that they maybe didn't even really care about so like even when you're taking the safe route it's still not guaranteed and it's still not as as a, a stable as it, as you thought it would be so you might as well just do what you want to do and follow your dreams and 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 follow your heart for yeah. sure yeah. so quite Question five: uh, What is the best piece best piece of advice that you've ever been given?
1: Mm, this is fun. I was thinking about it. Uh, I think I always remember. Um, I went to. I was like a really young kid. I don't remember how old I was, but um, my mom and I went to uh, Toys R Us. And I don't I don't remember the situation at all. But I remember that I asked for something and she said no, uh, for whatever reason. And then I I you know had a nuclear meltdown. And I, all I remember is like her kneeling down. So her face sort of came in front of my face. And she said, I love you more than anything in the whole entire world. But you are not, nor will you ever be the center of the universe. So stop crying. Right. And let's move on. And it really, really struck me. And it's sort of uh, top of mind all the time. You know, like it wasn't, uh, it wasn't her dismissing anything, but it was, you're behaving badly and you're not considering, you know, like a, uh, you know the we in in this place. You're only considering the I. You know, and um, yeah, it's something I think about all the time. Anytime ego starts to, you know, creep up, it's like it's not about you. It's about us. You know, which is probably why I'm in a position. You know, um, I think leadership positions. Uh, you could define them in a number of ways, but I think the best way to think about them for myself is about service. You know, they're service positions, uh, and so now I'm I'm in a a service position to constantly realize that it's not about me it's about you know it's but it's partially about me but it's it's about us you know and i get to be part of that
0: that humility i think is very important in a leader from my experiences is if you have someone who doesn't necessarily believe that all should follow but how you know come with me and we'll and i'll lead together is, is a good approach to do it uh, this kind of leads into the next question. Your mom sounds like a very wise woman. So, uh, but what ad, what advice would you give your ten year old self if you could talk to him? Maybe you were probably a bit younger than ten at that time, but yeah, a few yeah. years later. What, what what did you need to hear? Uh, I think I needed
1: to hear uh, that your voice matters. Hmm. Hmm. Um. Yeah. I mean, I could unpack it a little, but I think that's the main thing. I think we can. I do. I work a lot with. Um, With artists, obviously, and they're so beautiful and they're so vulnerable um, and courageous, strong, all these things. But it's amazing to me often that, you know, when I'm working with a playwright or maybe an actor will make an offer in the room. And often the first thing uh, that people can think when they're nervous or they're afraid is they'll do something and they'll think, oh, that couldn't be very good. Or maybe someone else maybe could do that better than me. And what's amazing is even if they do feel that, sometimes they don't show it and they do something and everyone in the room goes, oh my God, that was so brilliant. I could never be that brilliant. Look how amazing they are because everybody's voice is distinctly unique, right? And that's, and the world needs all of them. Um, Not for us to be as others' voices are, but to be ourselves, you
0: know? Very well said. Well, thank you very much, Thomas, for doing this. This is awesome. Um, Last question, question seven, what do you want to be remembered for? It's a weird question. It's good.
1: It's hard because it brings in the like. Oh yeah. Wow. Um. Uh, so I don't want to filter it through any kind of ego, but I, I hope. I, but part of it is around all the things we're talking about. Is that I hope um, to be remembered for helping people. You know what I mean? Like, and in in my context, that would be helping artists to thrive or art to thrive. Like, I love theater more than I can possibly articulate, and uh, I just hope that I've uh whenever i go that um maybe i could have been a part of like um helping it to uh establish evolve um thrive any of those sorts of things and that that includes all of the artists that are making it you know all the people i've come in contact with or maybe um you know at this company eventually one day i won't be here you know and did i set it up properly so that whoever comes in after both my position and all positions, uh, that they can keep thriving.
0: Beautiful. Well, Thomas Morgan Jones, thank you for being with us on the Because and Effect podcast. Good luck in the upcoming season. Uh, All the best. Stay safe and healthy to your family and team and everyone. Uh, One more time, the Actors Fund of Canada for people looking to support actors and pte.mb.ca for the Priory Theatre Exchange's upcoming season. Thanks for being with us today. It's great. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to Thomas Morgan Jones, Artistic Director of Prairie Theatre Exchange. It was great to talk to him and get some insights into sort of how the, uh, how PTE is gonna exist in the PC uh, era. Uh, the next few episodes are, as I said, gonna be focused on different organizations here in Winnipeg that represent all sorts of causes in our city. And you know, now more than ever, charities and nonprofits are gonna be necessary to sort of fill the gaps and provide us with support and guidance and in Thomas's case, In the case of the arts, they're going to provide us with entertainment and and a way to stay sort of sane in this unprecedented time and, and keep our stress levels down. If you enjoyed this podcast, please tell a friend, tweet it out, post about it on social media, however you want to get the word out there. It really helps us out. Uh, Make sure you tag the Winnipeg Foundation when you do at WPGFDN on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And you can search for me at Nolan Bicknell on there as well. All music on the podcast was produced and composed by Trenton Burton. You can find more of his music at trentonburton.com. And Because in Effect is a podcast of the Winnipeg Foundation. Thank you again for listening. And remember, the art of the people is a true mirror to their minds. Bye-bye.